certainly not a mistake this big. And the question, I think it's a good one, is like, well, then why didn't he, why didn't he fix intervene? it? Why didn't yeah, he fix yeah, it, right? Yeah. And uh, the ultimate answer is... In part one of this interview, Scott Woodward, a lifelong student and scholar of Latter-day Saint Church history, gave his view that... The number one myth, if we could address it, is the myth of prophetic infallibility. The mistake was both of ours. It's a cultural paradigm that's not substantiated by the scriptures. I think the more healthy way to go about this is to adopt the Lord's paradigm that he drops right in Doctrine and Covenants section one about prophets and apostles. Weak, simple, error-prone, and sinful. Concrete example. Let's start with polygamy. Doctrine and Covenants 132, verse 56. The Lord tells Emma, let my handmaid, Emma, forgive my servant Joseph his trespasses. Question, did Joseph trespass against Emma in any way in the way that he practiced plural marriage? In this context, the Lord is saying, yes. Do we need to defend Joseph? No. Do we need to condemn him? That's not what the Lord asked Emma to do. That's one example. For Scott, the marvelous work and wonder of the restoration is that God accomplishes his work through fallible servants. Go to the end of Joseph Smith's prophetic career. I'm in Doctrine and Covenants 124. Joseph, I have raised you up to show what I can do with weak people. That's the Lord's view of Joseph Smith. God works with natural men and women who he's trying to help them become saints through the atonement of Christ. That's the miracle of the restoration right there. Can you paint a picture for us a little bit better of when someone like defends them to the death to where it can be damaging? Yeah. Can I, can I do a sensitive one? Yeah. I mean, we're here, we're talking, let's just do it. It's more real. It's more authentic. And I think one example is uh, like blacks and the priesthood restriction, right? Like race and the priesthood? Race and the priesthood. Yeah. That uh, So for, for over a century in our church history, uh, mm. black, black men could not belong to the priesthood. Black men or women could not receive the temple ordinances above baptism for the dead, right? They couldn't participate in the temple. And... Uh, and so one example of what it would look like if you did not allow for prophetic fallibility, one that makes me very uncomfortable, is if you, if you want to say that, uh, that God is the one who did that, right? that God is the one who banned specifically black Africans or anyone with any, any hint of black African blood uh, in them from participating in the priesthood and temple, then God becomes the racist, right? God becomes the bigot. Mm. God mm. is the one who mm. is singling out one group of his children and, and barring them from privileges, right? And, and it, I mean, it, it, it becomes even more of like a, a, a problem the more you understand the history, right? That So can, can we just talk about the history for a mm -hmm, second, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So real quick, uh, and again, if anyone wants like, any, any depth on any of this stuff, like Casey and I in our podcast. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're, we're going to talk about all this stuff for hours. But uh, but the short of it is this, that uh, in Joseph Smith's day, there was no ban. There was no priesthood ban. There's nothing. Uh, blacks got ordained to the priesthood, right? Uh, Elijah Abel. Elijah Abel, Q. Walker Lewis. Uh, uh, Brigham Young called Q. Walker Lewis one of the best elders we have in the church. Mm. Black man from Massachusetts. He's in the North. There's a time when slavery is still a thing in the country, right? And like the whole United States is like, well, I mean, it's divided on this issue of race, right? It's going to lead to a civil war. Uh, mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, right? Uh, it's it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna it's so divisive. But um, but racism is is so rampant uh, in, in, in a degree that, that 
people in the modern age in America have a hard time like understanding like how bad it was. Like, but the thing is, based on uh, all available historical records, right? Uh, Joseph Smith allowed blacks to have the priesthood. He allowed blacks to have in Nauvoo. He sent out a, a proclamation as the Nauvoo Temple is going to be built. He said, "We were like people of all color from all nations will come and and join with us in the temple in worshiping our God." Like he was inviting. Like there was there's not even a hint of any sort of priesthood restriction or black Africans won't have access to the temple ordinances or anything yeah. like that. Elijah Abel's becomes a seventy, serves a bunch of missions. Yeah, like. Obviously, it, no. There's so there's nothing in the early church history, uh, in Joseph Smith's era, that backs up anything like, or justifies in any way, a priesthood ban. Right? The revelations, the doctrine and covenants, like over I think half a dozen times, the Lord says we're taking the gospel to every creature in every nation, everybody. Right? Uh, Book of Mormon talks about black, white, bond free, male, female, all are invited to come, all are alike unto God. Right? Uh, Joseph Smith's presidential platform. He wants yeah, yeah. Uh, to emancipate all the slaves as right. God has made all of them of one blood of all nations, right? According to Acts 17, like we're all of one family, one blood. So why why persecute one group because their skin's a little shade darker than the rest, right? He's so good. Anyway, so then uh, 1852, somehow Brigham Young shifts his understanding, his view of blacks, buys into some of the Protestant uh, explanations that are centuries old. The blacks are descended from Cain, and Cain uh, committed the first murder. And uh, so we start to see some of our church leaders who came from Protestant backgrounds, mm-hmm. Harley P. Pratt, Brigham Young, Orson Hyde, saying that kind of thing, kind of parroting those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Not establishing scripture. In fact, totally like wrecks scriptural like stories. Like the, the story of Cain does not, in any way, you're saying Brigham like, Young has does record of Brigham Young saying this? Oh, multiple times, yeah. That, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that's the only reason he actually ever gave. Brigham Young is the one that that begins publicly articulating this kind of idea that that blacks sh- should not have access to the priesthood because Cain, because of the descendants of Cain. That was a Protestant belief. Protestant belief. Okay, hundreds of years old by the time it gets to Brigham Young. Yeah, that. Like the scriptures don't say, like if you go look at the Cain story, it will not say anything about how he was, he's black. Nothing about black says God put a mark on him. Yeah. So that he would live and not be killed. The end. And the assumptions are made. So Interesting. That, so as a, as an act of mercy, so that someone who finds him won't kill him. The end of that story. And uh, mm. like, so, so, so some Jewish rabbis think that the, the mark was like a, a letter on his forehead. Hmm. Some think it was like a horn. Um, I I kind of like the idea of male pattern baldness. I think it was male pattern baldness. <laughs> I think that was the mark. Um, you know, but uh, like prove me wrong. You know what I mean? I like, prove know. me wrong. Um, but to say, no, that's the mark was uh, blackness. Like what kind of blackness? Oh, like black African blackness. Mm. Like, right. And that that's yeah. somehow like the whole thing is just on this whole like house of cards, like the, the logic and the reasoning is so bad. But but Brigham Young, that's the only reason he ever gave is that they're descendants of Cain and because he killed his brother Abel. Abel, uh, his posterity was not able to gain access to the priesthood. So he had to come through a different line. And now uh, Cain's pre- posterity will not be able to have access to priesthood until all of Abel's posterity get it right. 
it's 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 a it's a weird twisted version of the protestant story oh um, yeah and yeah. it's not uh, he, he adds the priesthood huh. element to it right yeah. that's not a but it's uh uh, and by the way, this is stuff that right in 2013 in the in the race and priesthood gospel topics essay, this was unilaterally like like condemned by church leaders, right? Saying like to say that that they're that the the mark of the dark skin is a mark of a curse yeah. uh, is not true. We we disavow that's the word, right? We disavow any of that kind of teaching. That was Brigham Young's only teaching, right? And then there's another teaching, Orson Pratt, Orson Hyde. Uh, they Angels. they thought it was a pre-mortal thing. It was a pre-mortal thing. Yeah. Pre-mortal less valiance is what caused those people to be banned from the priesthood. And so uh so those are the two false doctrines that like are floating around in the church for for decades and decades, right? And then they kind of get codified into policy in 1907. Uh that that anyone who has even the remote remotest degree of Negro blood uh, is, is 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 barred from priesthood and temple. Which is uh, interesting to me. I happen to be black and white. My mom's white. My dad's black. Yeah. And in Brazil, where I served in Brazil, there's some families where it's like there's a child that, because, you know, you might have, because there's a lot of African, like this, a lot of African descent all in like Bahia, yeah. that area. But then one of the children easily, like in the same family, same kids, one of them looks Caucasian. The other ones look more a little bit more yeah. of African descent. And yeah. so by the time you get through even two, three generations, they look just like you. Yeah. And they don't even know. Yeah. So how could you possibly It was even an know? indefensible standard that had so many holes. A lot of people with African ancestry still were ordained. Some got sealed in the temple, but it's only if they could pass as white, right? Yeah. And the new, the new book that just came out, let's talk about, let's think about raising the priesthood. Okay. One of the best like single books of scholarship on this it, topic. It is amazing. Ever. It's amazing. Yeah. Paul and at Reeve. The very, well, the very beginning, um, I just read it. So I don't remember the exact name, but there was a man who was, he comes to his Bishop and he says, basically, I want to, I want to be sealed uh, to my wife. And he's like, no, you can't. Yeah. Cause I, that, suspect, right? I suspect, suspect that, yeah, suspect, suspect you that. Yeah. Suspect. Was he, was he half? No, his dad was white. His dad was a slave owner. Yeah. Yeah, there's more detail to it, but I understand. Go read the book. Yeah, go read the book. But I'm telling you, it's very interesting that the drop in the bucket. I mean, back then, it shows kind of the history of America. Before there were airplanes, train, well, there were trains. Yeah. People didn't travel much. It'd be easy to make the assumption that it's always the same everywhere you go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so in the, in the context of America at the time, in fact, that one-drop policy in the church mirrors a one-drop policy that was that had just happened, I want to say, in Virginia about mm. segregation. Yeah. Right? Um, that, yeah, if there was one drop. So so the church is, yeah, we're kind of tracking with America. We're tracking with, like, other churches are doing similar type of things. Um, we, would we, today, by today's standards, we say it was, like, racial policies? Yes. More racial than other or more racist than other policies in other churches or uh, or in America generally? Uh, no, no. We're tracking with America in some ways that way, right? So again, now, if I think that Brigham Young can make no mistakes, right? Yes, right. And that the first presidency in 1907 can make no mistakes, that's Joseph F. Smith and his two counselors, um, then I'm going to have to defend that this was somehow an inspired move, right? That blacks were barred from the priesthood for some reason in Brigham Young's day 
not in Joseph Smith's day, but in Brigham Young's day, the reason given was about Cain or pre-mortal less valiance, right? And then that just kind of becomes the precedent in Brigham Young's day, basically, uh, right? Just so we can see, like, have some empathy for church leaders at the time. Um, Elijah Abels is still alive during Brigham Young's whole uh, uh, ministry. He dies in 1877, and Elijah Abels uh, continues to live for, I want to say, another 15-ish years, 20 years. And uh, he tries to get sealed to his wife after Brigham Young dies. He asked John Taylor if I can get sealed to my wife who just passed away. Can I receive my endowment and be sealed to her? And John Taylor says, I don't know. I don't know what the what we do about this since you're of African descent. Hmm. He's like, I am a I'm a 70. I've served several missions. Like I'm so he actually puts Joseph F. Smith on the task to go investigate this, right? Like go investigate the legitimacy of his ordination. Meanwhile, hmm. he goes down to Provo hmm. to talk with, he, he heard that Zebedee Coulter and Abraham O. Smoot had the inside scoop on what Joseph Smith thought about this, uh, about blacks and priesthood and temple. And so Zebedee Coulter tells a whopper of a memory, like this is now what, 40 years removed from the, from the fact, but he's like, yeah, I remember Joseph telling me that blacks couldn't have the priesthood. I remember that. Um, and, and when Joseph Smith found out that uh, Elijah Abel's had African blood, he dropped him from the quorum of the 70. That's what I remember. That's what Zebedee said. Meanwhile, Joseph F. Smith is doing his own investigative work with Elijah Abel, looking at his documents, like looking at like his ordination certificates, <laughs> right? Yeah. From Kirtland, signed by Joseph yeah. Smith Jr. <laughs> seeing uh, his, his, his Nauvoo certificates of being a 70, uh, he had, he had also been washed and anointed. He hadn't been endowed yet, served these missions. His patriarchal blessing says, you have been ordained an elder uh, by Joseph Smith Sr. He's in good standing when he comes to Salt Lake. He's also uh, put in, a, in one of the quorums of the 70 there. Like, mm. there is no question about his legitimacy. He tells Joseph F. Smith, Joseph told me I had every right to the priest that is anyone. Right. So then they come together in council a few days later. Joseph F. Smith says, here's what I learned. Oh, no, first John Taylor says, here's what Zebedee Coulter tells me that Joseph said, 40-year-old memory, to which uh, Joseph F. Smith says, I think that's absolutely a false memory because I just talked to Elijah. I looked at his cert mm. certification. Like, that's not a true memory. Joseph Smith did not try to bar blacks from the priesthood, and he certainly didn't uh, drop him from the quorum. He's in good standing. So they deliberate on what they should do about that. And the conclusion is, well, Joseph Smith must have somehow like made a mistake before they had fully understood the word of the Lord on this topic. Hmm. I don't know why they came to that conclusion rather than saying Brigham Young made a mistake on this yeah, yeah. in introducing this based on the Cain law. There's probably so many cases of things that have, there's probably so many that we don't even know of to justify, like it'd be a lot of, I don't want to. I don't want to make it yeah. so simple. But it was, I mean? The most recent precedent that they would have had to have violated was Brigham Young's precedent, right? And Brigham Young, if you ask Brigham Young, I have this great quote from him that says, "Can can prophets or apostles make mistakes?" He said, "Don't ask me such a question. I'll acknowledge that all the time." But then he says, "But I never do anything deliberately to try to lead the church straight, right? I, I would never try to deliberately." Uh, do something wrong, though I might commit many errors, he says. I think that's a, that's a great humility. That's what we're talking about, right? Weak, simple, error-prone 
even sinful sometimes. That's who God's working with here. And Brigham Young, uh, I think he was genuine. I think he, I mean, he had some reasons. Probably there was, you know, the Utah Territory. There's probably some political thoughts about how to position Utah at the time. Uh, there's slaveholders who are converts who are bringing their slaves to Utah. Like this is getting a little tricky. Uh, like how, what, where should we come down on this issue? Like there's, there's multiple factors and different angles of pressure on Brigham Young, but I think he was doing the best he could under the circumstance. I don't, I don't want to say he's, he's being uh, deliberately uh, harmful, right? But the whole, his whole house of cards is based on blacks are descendants of Cain whose descendants are, or, or, or who were barred from priesthood because of this logic about Abel. And uh, that's been disavowed by prophets in our day. It's, it's like officially like disavowed, right? We do not believe that. We don't believe they were less valiant in premortality, but those two false doctrines fueled the behavior and the policy that eventually comes into place in 1907, which, you know, is based on the precedents of the past like so each each generation becomes less and less connected. likely to yeah they're not connected to the original facts and they're mm. less likely to violate the precedent of their predecessor and all of america seems to be tracking you know generally speaking with the idea that the blacks should be separate that they shouldn't preside you know over whites and that kind of thing and what about voting <laughs> rights and what about hmm. you know and so so you asked me a question like uh, what's the danger? What's the danger of like going so far? Yeah, in, yeah. In in trying to defend them, like so. Yeah. Th this is a good example, right? If we if we went, if we try to defend Tooth and Nail, like no, like Brigham Young was inspired in his Kane logic, right? Or there were, Orson Pratt was inspired in his in his premortal less valiance logic, right? He's trying to figure out like mm. if people are put in a less ideal environment on earth and that must have something to do with how they live primordially, right? I mean, this yeah, is just him yeah, trying to figure yeah, stuff yeah. out. It turns out to be like horribly wrong, but uh, but if, if we want to defend them, like, like, do you want to stand behind Brigham Young on that? I don't want to stand behind him on that. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do you want yeah. to defend Orson Pratt? Like, yeah. I don't see any of the living prophets who want to do that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they're saying we disavow that, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, so if I, if I do like hunker down, I'm like, no, somehow... Like this had to be inspired by God. Like then what I'm doing is I'm making God like an accessory to that, to that yeah. restrictive policy. I'm making God, uh, somehow God changed from Joseph Smith's day to Brigham Young's day. Yeah. To John Taylor and Joseph Smith's day. Like God's the one changing here. Uh, that Joseph Smith is the one that, that messed it up. Well, when you look at the revelations to Joseph Smith, it's all about universal access, gospel to all nations, every people, every creature. Right, black, white, bond free, male, female, all have equal access. Joseph's actions actually ordained black like men are getting ordained. His his own brother, Apostle William Smith, ordains Q Walker Lewis to be, you know. So it's like all the evidence and the revelations and the backing is that the the original thing is what God intended. And that that, that what what starts to happen in Brigham Young's day, through John Taylor's day, and then Joseph F. Smith. Uh, and the narrative becomes a very white narrative that from the beginning, yeah, God intended yeah. it to be this way. Mm. And nobody's trying to do anything wrong. We're just a bunch of weak, weak. simple, error prone, and sometimes sinful. Well, I mean, I think people I think, that are I, trying to. I think I think the argument this. Yeah. a lot of people would make is 
and I mean, this is a hundred percent understandable. Is like, well, what about all the things that happened in between? Yeah, all of the uh, the aftermath of that decision, how it affected so many people. How was yeah. it? You know, um, that I that I understand. I mean, it, it's it's it's, and I don't think that you're trying to oversimplify it at all. And I think that's the, the contrary of what you're doing. But I think that it is important to note that there are people. I mean, you know, people do. Um, it's okay to to wrestle with that. But I feel like the biggest point you're making is that if we go so far on this opposite end of the spectrum of saying they cannot make a mistake, they cannot be fallible at yeah. all. Not, not, certainly not a mistake this big. This big? Yeah. Then we're doomed, you know? Yeah. And the, and the question, I think it's a good one, is like, well, then why didn't like God why? Like, intervene? Yeah. Why didn't he intervene? It? Why didn't yeah. he fix yeah. it, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's a fantastic question. Like the, the, the ultimate answer is he did in 1978 right but the question is yeah but why didn't he do it earlier right well he well, and did you know what for me my own perspective and i don't yeah, this is my own honest perspective yeah i believe he did in whatever calendar you use when jesus came and he redeemed the world hmm. the worst case scenario of anything of any scenario and i'm not trying to i know i'm not trying to oversimplify it but i'm but it, in fact it's not that simple because it is it's very deep the atonement of Jesus Christ is that deep. Hmm. The atonement of Jesus Christ is that profound. The atonement of Jesus Christ is that real, hmm. that it can redeem something that could seem as huge. Yeah. And, and it is huge yeah. for many people. Right. He can redeem that. Right. And so in 78, in 1978, yes. But even before then, I believe personally, hmm. he already won. We have to remember that he already overcame everything, mm. you know, and that's, that's what gives me personally comfort in this. Mm. And I believe that, and that might seem oversimplified, but I'm, again, it's not, that's not a simple thing that he did. I don't think that the yeah. atonement of Christ was simple. Right. You know? No. So you're saying, if I could restate what you're saying, uh, God already fixed the problems that would be caused with weak, simple, error-prone sinners who are working, who he's working through. Like he already took all that into account when he atoned for their sins Listen, with, with, with his grace that's sufficient to compensate for their weaknesses. From my own personal experience, from who, from where I'm coming from, yeah. I'm now going to the temple now and doing baptisms for the dead yeah. for people who may have owned slaves. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? People yeah. who may have hated black people their entire life mm. and it's very humbling and it's very it's 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 really increased the charity and love that i have wow. but um that's anyway a beautiful thought man that's a beautiful that's like a that's what charity looks like right that's what forgiveness looks like that's but that's at beautiful. the end we all will need him yeah they're not getting the, they're, they're not i am the proxy jesus is the one who's redeeming them right and i don't think that anybody cares what race he was <laughs> right you know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And when I, when I think about, you know, back, back to this idea of like, so why didn't he correct it earlier? One of the most humbling lessons of church history to me in this episode, uh, with regarding race and priesthood and temple is that when the quorum of the 12 and first presidency weren't united on this, no revelation came. And you know, the, the very first time, the very first time, Stephen, that a United First Presidency in 12 asked God on, uh, about this topic, 
When? The revelation came, 1978. The very first time. The first time they were united and asked, they, that they'd actually Whoa. made. Go, that's important. To, I don't think that people look at this this way. It's, it's, it's That's when the revelation came. The revelation came the very first time the first presidency and quorum of the 12 were united and asked if it would be God's will, if it was okay that they removed the restriction that had been in place, whether by doctrine or by policy, for whatever reason. At that point, it was, you know, there's historians that are like, I don't think your story's right. And they were trying, the President Kimball's trying to figure all this out, but uh, he had wanted to remove it. He'd felt a confirmation it should be removed, but uh, he didn't uh, dare to move forward on that until there was unity in the 12. And when there was unity in the 12 and First Presidency, and they prayed about it, you can go read their accounts. They're amazing. The outpouring of the Spirit, a lot of them, these are apostles speaking, saying that was the most spiritual experience of my life. My favorite is President Benson. Oh, I love his words. They like ring in my soul. He said, he said, our hearts burned with the righteousness of the decision we had made. Wow. Like I can just picture Jesus saying, oh. yes, yes, you should remove that restriction. Absolutely. Like the, our hearts burned earned with the righteousness of what we were asking him. And, uh, and so that's, that's how Jesus works, right? This, he, he's even, even in his church, which, uh, you know, this is a hundred year or so time span, uh, of well, over a hundred years where blacks are not having full privileges in the church. And, uh, and he is patient until the leaders, until the leaders are united who are willing to stand behind this revelation, right? So uh, God works with natural men and women who he's trying to help them become saints through the atonement of Christ. And uh, and as they get better and better at that, the revelations get, uh, they come, right? And yeah. so that this is a great episode to show that, that, uh, that aspect of Jesus Christ and his, his patience and long suffering. But eventually, like you're saying, I have your same faith. Nothing's going to ever go permanently wrong when Jesus Christ is involved. And that's the story. We get back with 1978 Revelation. We get back to where we started in Joseph Smith's day. It was a revelation of restoration, of restoring us back to the original uh, plan, the original paradigm, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it took a while to get to that corrective, but the Lord was patient and waiting until the church leaders were ready for that to occur. And I yeah. think it's beautiful, honestly, as flawed as the people are that are involved. Like this is God's work, man. This is how he works. He works with gotta, those kind of people. We got to focus on him. Yeah. Like, so, so, cause I can just imagine, you know, I've, and I've, I've had this discussion that's been recorded and, um, the comments that come up are things like this black guy, do this or that, or they, like, I can imagine people being like, this white guy is talking to this black dude about racing the priesthood. <laughs> yeah. But well, the truth is, the truth is. <laughs> I feel like what you've, a lot of what you've come, and if we can bring us even full circle, it's not about the prophet. The prophet is a servant yeah. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if which I could just. Which doesn't mean he's his puppet. He's not, yeah. Right? It doesn't mean that Jesus is telling him what to do and he's just doing it robotically. Like God gave him the keys of the kingdom and they get to kind of figure things out. And yeah. it feels like the Lord's okay with that. Anyway. And, and as a parent, come on. Mm. I mean, Oh my gosh. Like I'm not a perfect parent. I make mistakes all the time. 
I can't justify anybody else's mistakes. Yeah. But I know that Jesus Christ can. Yeah. Mm. I can't, I can't change the past, but I believe that Jesus Christ can. Mm. That could be oversimplified to some people, but if I could just, if there's anything that I could do in this topic to just witness of the power of Jesus Christ mm. and to witness of if he's that merciful in something that's so deep, that cuts so deep for so many, yeah. how merciful will he be with me mm. with all the mistakes that I've made? How much more merciful will he be with me yeah. with it, with all the things that I've gotten wrong? Yeah. Because I think like, the first question that comes to my mind is, like you said, well, there were people who were affected negatively. Why didn't fill in the blank? Yeah. Well, I think that's part of the power of, of him, mm. you know, of his strength to redeem the worst case scenario you could possibly think of, not just for this, but in your personal life, mm. the worst thing that you could have ever done, the worst thing, thought, idea, action that you could have ever done. Like he can redeem that. Mm. That's powerful. That's real. That's real. Stephen Jones. That's the real, that's the truth, man. Yeah, man. And so is this a challenging one for me personally? It is. Yeah. Is it a challenging for a lot of people that are out there listening and watching this? It is. Yeah. But I, I just, we got to focus. We got to focus on him. Back to DNC 132.56 to Emma, right? Emma, please forgive Joseph Smith's trespasses against you. Like, I do. I forgive him. I, we, right? I, insert, insert, right? Stephen. Scott, forgive Brigham Young's trespasses or John Taylor or Joseph F. Smith or whoever you want to put in, George Q. Cannon or Bruce R. McConkie or whatever, whoever said anything that's kind of like you read it today and it feels it feels painful, it feels offensive, it feels hurtful to people that you know and love, right, uh, who did nothing wrong for being a different race. Anyway, you know what I mean. Will you forgive them their trespasses? Will you? I will. I hear Jesus saying that. I will. I have, right? We, you and I don't need to worry about Brigham Young. Yeah. Like, Brigham Young is going to be okay. Him and the Lord. But maybe, right? but maybe that's what it is. I think that for some, for me personally, I can only talk for myself. Some of the things that are hardest for me to forgive, I have to reach down in my own soul and say, is it really true that there's a God mm. that is that merciful? Yeah. That, that I'm saying can forgive, like, he really can forgive me. And sometimes that's the hardest. Like people say, I don't know if I can forgive myself. And it's like, no, there really is a merciful God. Is it true that there's a love that deep? Whew. That there's a love that profound? Is it true? Whew. It's hard for us to wrap around, but I believe that it's true. That's all I'm trying to say. Back to DNC three, right? My favorite. Joseph Smith just like lost scripture that we are still... <laughs> We have not recovered from that still, like, honestly. And was it first Nephi 9? Is it 9 where he's like, hey, Nephi, throw this in there. And he's like. <laughs> but I've already yeah. written. Yeah. And Nephi's yeah. like, I have no idea. Is it 9 or 10? It's yeah. 9. Yeah, 9. It's first Nephi 9. Words of Mormon. Yeah, yeah. he's like, I have no idea. And he, can, he, yeah. and he rips Joseph. He rips Joseph, right? But then he transitions to what you're saying. He says, but remember, I think I'm quoting him directly, but remember, God is merciful. Therefore. If you will repent, your gift will be restored and I can still work with you, Joseph. Like that's gotta come as like a oh. bomb to the soul, right? Just a just mm. a soothing, like 
Yeah, that's my. Can I have a favorite attribute about God? I think yeah. that's my favorite yeah, attribute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that He is what you're saying, like, and you said it way better. But just that He is merciful to sinners. I think that's what He does best: is show mercy to people who make mistakes. And if He can do it to Joseph, He can do it to prophets, He can do it to us, He can do it to anybody. Uh, as we show any sign, any inkling of wanting to know His will and do His will, right? That's when, that's when the redemption happens, when you start turning to him, right? Mm. Um, yeah. That's my experience. Well, the way he describes himself, he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. Mm. And I think that the gateway to that mercy is his meekness. Mm. It's his humility. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel like for me, I know that I can be more humble. I need to be more humble in my life. I need to be more willing to just allow that, to be real, you know, mm -hmm. of, of like, it's hard to do that. <laughs> and nobody's in, that's gotta be so clear for this. Yeah. I don't think that you're saying at all that, oh, this was just some simple thing and this is what happened and da, 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 da. I mean, right. you know the facts and you know the logic of it. Hmm. And I, and I feel that that's important to, to recognize because you've, you've, you've read this extensively and I know you very well to where it's not, you're just giving the facts. Hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that- Am I being too clinical about it? No, no, no. Okay. You're not being too clinical about it. I'm okay. saying, I know that behind the facts yeah. is a true, real passion and a real love and understanding for all of this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because the facts are important. I'm not, you know, that's by far what I'm saying. Yeah. At the end of the day, there are people involved. And whenever there are people involved, they're going to make mistakes. <laughs> and behind that, there is a God who works with sinners very well and he's merciful. And in the end, as we turn to him, it's going to be okay. Right. Yeah. He can redeem everything. I think that's what he does best. Right. If you asked, if you yeah. asked Jesus, like, what do you, what do you love most about what you do? Right. I, I bet that would be it. I bet he'd say, I love forgiving people. I love redeeming people. I love, I love when people think that they've lost it all that they actually haven't. And I can help them feel that. And I can help them like feel whole again when they've made, they've made mistakes that have hurt people in real life, right? From prophets down to the least of us. Uh, I think he would say something like that. that. That's the vibe I get from Jesus in scripture is he delights to forgive and to work with weak, simple, error-prone sinners. And uh, so... Who Revelation, he's like, Revelation 21, he says, I will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Mm. I'll, I, I will make it, I will redeem it. You know, he doesn't say, I'll, that's the, I added that last part. But, um, okay, we've talked about a lot. Yeah. We've, we've uh, you know, we've talked about some myths. We've talked about um, polygamy. We've talked about race and the priesthood. Mm. Uh, we've talked about how we can really look at the context and the background to really give us in a way to, to, uh, to wrestle through some of these harder questions that you've experienced that your students have had. And if yeah. anybody who's watching it could, could, might be experiencing now, yeah. is there anything else that you would want to add as we conclude? Yeah. No, I mean, I've just, I've just been, uh, you're, you're good, Steven. Thanks for, thanks for having me, man. This is, uh, this has been fun for me. I, 
all, all I can tell you is what I do and how I approach church history, how I approach uh, doctrine, how I approach prophetic fallibility. And I think uh, uh, for me, this this works really well. It's really real. It's authentic to how real life happens. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's the most honest way to look at church history. Not with a vendetta, not with trying to like, you know, play gotcha with the prophets, but also not with like a naivete that uh, I can expect them to not make mistakes. Like just, if we can just watch church history, the, the miracle of church history is to watch what God does mm. with normal, fallen, weak uh, people. Uh, the, the, that's the marvel and the wonder of church history, right? Uh, you want to talk about the Book of Mormon? Yeah. Like, think, how did we get a book like that from a kid like that? He's 23 when we yeah. get the Book of Mormon finished. 60 days, approximately, of this 23-year-old kid looking at rocks in the bottom of his hat. And we got a book like that from that. Like, mm. that is amazing. Like, that's, that's, that is like so profound, actually. And it, it's worthy of so much investigation that, uh, like, that's how, the, that's how the restoration begins with this inexplicable book coming from a, a, a farm boy who was looking at stones in the bottom of his hat. Mm. That is, that's powerful this is so profound yeah and then over and over again and that's changed you it's it, dude yeah the Book of Mormon we haven't even talked about Book of Mormon like Book of Mormon yeah 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 it, it has rocked my world and brought me closer to Christ man than anything like not in some naive way like you know like a like an authentic like as I Joseph once said if you abide by its precepts like it'll bring you close to God like mm. the man was telling the truth Stephen he was telling the truth uh, but that's the I, most important part it. yeah yeah, I've experienced that. Like the way the Book of Mormon teaches you to come to Christ, to repent, like how authentically it, and it shows like case study after case study of people doing that. As you like tap into that process and you actually do it, you actually get the same fruits that the people in the Book of Mormon got, man. And so uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding as far as that one goes. But yeah, that's, that's what I would say is the think about church history as a blend of the human and the divine. Mm. And as you, as you think of, that and you expect both, then you'll expect to see miracles happen. You'll expect to see the miraculous. You'll, you'll expect mm. to see the profound, but you won't be bamboozled by the human weakness. You won't you won't be sideswiped by by human error. Like you'll, you'll expect that that's going to be there, but the but you, you get to sift. You get to see the flakes of gold. You know, President Iring's awesome analogy. You know, sift sift through the dirt and see the the, the flakes of gold, the flecks of gold. Uh, in in what uh, the apostles are doing, the prophets are doing, the saints are doing, and the the incredible work that's uh, that's come out. There's so much gold yeah. in, in the midst of that dirt. That's what I feel. Well, amen to that. Listen, I'm I'm thankful for your gift and ability to, like you said, you can take the scholarly and you can simplify it and synthesize it yeah. to make it understandable. I'm a simple man. That's a that's a gift that we need, and so I'm yeah. glad that you're able to come and uh, and be with us, Scott Woodward, who is. I think you're a scholar. I believe you're a scholar. Thank you, man. And um, a respected friend, an amazing, an amazing teacher. And I'm glad that you were able to come with us and teach us today. Um, if you want to get more from Scott, obviously him and Casey, 
uh, Church History Matters is another Scripture Central podcast that you can check out. Yeah. That they that they're going to go deep, deep, deep into a lot of these topics. So be looking out for that. And um, I believe all of this is true that we've talked about. Yeah, but don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself. It's, it's more real. It's more authentic. And-